Good morning. The Bible reading this morning is taken from John chapter 7 verses 1 to 24 and you can find it on page 1070 in the church Bibles. Here Jesus audaciously preaches publicly about who he is in the the, uh, festival of the tabernacles. John 7. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore Jesus told them, My time is not yet here, for you any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I'm not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he'd said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him, some saying, he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, and you are all amazed. Yet, because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me? For healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath. Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Good morning, everyone. Great to be here. I think it's about two months since I first got sick. And uh, it's a joy to be back preaching to you. Uh, Let me just say as I start, um, I just want to publicly say thank you to Scott, who has shouldered a significant load over the last couple of months. I do wish to uh, acknowledge that. It's a great 
pleasure having you here, Scott, and uh, it brought me great joy that I felt guilty being away. And I would like you to thank him because he does an amazing job. Uh, when I got back, they said, the place hasn't missed a beat. <laughs> but we have missed you, which is always nice. So uh, let me get my phone on uh, in terms of my watch so I can tell you uh, I won't go too long. And let me pray. Father, we do thank you we can be here. We thank you for your word. It's great to be here today. And Father, help us to have hearts and minds that are open to understand and to put into our lives what we learn. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if you have an awkward relative in your family. People just quietly chuckle to themselves, don't they? You know the type? It's family gatherings, it's weddings, it's the Christmas lunch. They can drink too much, they can say too much, they can speak in ways that are awkward or inappropriate. Some of them dress inappropriately. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? Just nodding your head, yes. I think most families have them. Uh, I know a family, I was speaking to a family at um, Christmas time, where the brother gave his sister-in-law, in front of the husband and this woman's children, a leopard skin bra and matching tights. Now, that's what you'd call awkward, wouldn't you? <laughs> now, there was nothing flirtatious about it. He's just slightly awkward. Um, anyway, why do I say that? Good question, isn't it? <laughs> we come to chapter 7 of John's Gospel. And I was thinking about this. Um, if you didn't preach expositorily, which is that you just keep going through a whole book, I don't think you'd pick this chapter, and particularly this first half of the chapter, to speak on. The second half we're going to come to next week. Uh, there's some famous words there, but there's no doubt in my mind this first half is one you go, mm, we'll miss that, we'll come to the good bits. This part is difficult. It's worth saying that. And Jesus is awkward. Not in the sense of giving leopard skin bras to his family, but in the sense of he's argumentative. You wonder what he's actually saying. And there's two groups of people that he engages with, neither of them get him. And I think they walk away with their heads being scratched. Who is this guy? Now, when you read John and you go through the gospel, there's some famous sections where you just resonate and you go, yes, I'm on board. This Jesus is incredible. And one of the most loved stories is the woman at the well because this woman who is shunned by her society, she's an outcast because of the decisions she's made and the relationships she's been through. Jesus finds her at the middle of the day and loves her and accepts her. And she finds eternal life. And it's a heartwarming, profound story of the incredible grace that flows from the Lord Jesus Christ. And you go, yep, I'm on board. Uh, that's not the case here. Uh, it's a difficult passage, and we need to kind of be all here, uh, have our social media off, and think about what's going on. And it's taken me a while through the week to kind of get on top of it. But there's a very powerful message for us today. And what I've called it is, judging Jesus, the struggle to believe, or the struggle of belief. And what we will learn here 
and see here are the struggles that we go through to try and believe in the Lord Jesus and hopefully get some helpful handles on what it actually means and how we can actually believe. Because there's no doubt if you've been a Christian, there'll be days when you wake up and the sun is shining and you think it's easy to be a Christian. Now, Easter Sunday is coming. It's one of those days where you rejoice. But there's other days where you can struggle to make sense of what does it mean to be a Christian and what is this Jesus really on about? Let me set the scene. Chapter 7 starts, and Jesus is in Galilee. And John says he did not want to go about in Judea because of the Jewish leaders that were there looking for a way to kill him. And chapter 6, he's had long engagement with uh, the people, and he's taught them, and some have understood, few, many have walked away. Chapter 5, if you go back, he healed a man on the Sabbath. It greatly outraged the Jewish leaders of the day. We're six months on from that healing. And we're six months on from that feeding of the 5,000 and discussion about bread. It's the Festival of Tabernacles. Uh, the first incident, chapter 6-5, takes place at Passover. We're six months later at the end of the festival season, and it's now Tabernacles. We'll come to the actual Festival of Tabernacles next week and what that is on about. But there's two people he engages with, his brothers, and then secondly, with the Jewish people. You could say his um, blood kin and also his national kin that he starts to engage with. And to both groups, you could say he appears feisty, difficult, argumentative. And what he's doing is challenging these two groups of people to rightly judge him. And you get to the very end, and he says this verse, uh, says this phrase, look, stop judging me by mere appearances. What I want you to do is instead judge correctly. And you see, their judgment is really about their belief in who he is. In other words, don't assess me, don't believe things about me because of just what you see, but think deeper about who I am, is what he's saying. And there's four challenges to belief that you see here as you go through. Firstly, the worldview challenge. Secondly, there's a, the personal challenge. Third, the commitment challenge. And fourthly, the humility challenge. Let's look firstly at the worldview challenge. And if you've got your Bibles there, do have them open. We'd love you to, uh, I'd love you to read along with me. I'm only going to have a couple of key verses up on the screen. John 7, page 1070, and I'm going to pick up from verse 3. Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one wants to become a public figure, acts, no one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, Show yourself to the world, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore Jesus told them, my time is not yet here, for you any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival, I'm not going to go up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he'd said this, he stayed in Galilee." What we see here as we start to look at this passage is that Jesus won't produce miracles on demand. Now, I want you to sit in the kind of seat that the brothers are sitting in. They've grown up with this guy. He's their elder brother. They've seen him from childhood. As a toddler, they've knocked about with him. He's now 30, 31, 32. 
and they've seen his miracles. And they have no doubt believing that he can do those miracles. They've witnessed them. What they're really struggling to understand is, who is their brother? Now, I've got a lot of sympathy for that because you think it would be so difficult. And they've worked out that their elder brother really thinks he's on a mission and he's very important. And they say to him, because most of his ministry at this stage has been in Galilee, which if I can say is the country, imagine Dubbo. Now I say Dubbo because I've got family that have grown up there, but it's also good to mention it because our mission partner Neville Naden comes from Dubbo and he's here today. Great to see you, Nevo, uh, and it's good to have you here. Um, and you think about being out at Dubbo, and if you're a fashion designer and you win the Dubbo Fashion Awards, do you think you've made it in the big time yet? No, you haven't, have you? Now, you might be able to put an Akubra on well, but if you want to make it in the fashion world, the Dubbo show is probably not the place to kind of boast about. You really need to cut it on the Sydney Broadwalk and the Sydney show, and if you're really serious and you want a big name, you'll go to New York or Paris for your fashion. As much as we love Dubbo, it probably isn't the centre of the world for fashion. And you see, the brothers... They've seen him perform his miracles in the country. They say, you need to go to the big smoke, bro. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. Fascinating phrase. Jesus won't have a bar of it. And John's reflection is because his brothers did not believe in him. What is it they didn't believe? Well, they believed he could produce miracles. But belief is more than that in the scriptures. It's actually seeing and understanding who Jesus is. It's coming to grips with the fact that he's not just their brother for these brothers, but actually he's the son of God who's come from heaven to reveal God to the world and to save the world. When their brothers looked at Jesus, they just saw their elder brother. And I think their problem was their worldview, and I'm very sympathetic to it. I mean, if I was them, I don't think I'd be any different. They had a view of the world that absolutely believed in God, but they absolutely had a view that God could not be their brother, that their brother could not be the son of God. And so as they believed, they saw. As they had this worldview that shaped their belief, they saw, and when they saw Jesus, they just saw their brother. And their request to do another miracle really is just, well, you know, you go and do your thing down there. Show off down there. And Jesus won't have a bar of it because he doesn't want to show himself and reveal himself that way. The miracles were not to just gain public attention, they were to point people to who he was. And you should have seen the miracles and then believed, actually, this is not just a miracle worker, this is actually someone who's come from God. But their worldview stopped them doing that. And you see, it's the nature of us, all of us will have a view of the world, that's what a worldview is, that shapes our belief. So that when we see things, we interpret them certain ways. And let me just say, our worldview today is very different to the worldview of Jesus' brothers and the Jewish people. 
they lived in a world that believed in God. We live in a world that that belief is eroding every day. It's not a world that doesn't believe there's not something supernatural, but a belief that Jesus is God is not our world. And you see, that shapes how people see the world. It's how they shapes how they see Jesus. And it's the nature of our upbringing. You see, let me ask the question, is seeing believing or is believing seeing? Because you'll often hear the people say, show me a miracle and then I'll believe. The funny thing is, you show people miracles and they still don't believe. Because you see, there's something greater that is shaping how they believe. It's actually the opposite. Believing is seeing. And the way you believe about the world will shape how you see the world. Absolutely. Now, let me give an illustration from food. Uh, people who know me know I like my food. Um, and I experienced this just the other week. Now, that's a piece of kingfish that's been filleted, skinned, and sashimied. One of the high points of a meal, I think, is to have some raw kingfish with soy sauce and wasabi. It's just delicious. Now, let me just say, my children grew up being told this. And so their worldview effectively was raw fish is yummy. Now, I went out and I caught a fish the other day and it fed eight of us. And I got in severe trouble afterwards because I had not left any for my son. And he was really cranky because he said, I want to eat some raw. Now, what was interesting, at the meal, there was someone who wouldn't eat it raw. You see, for some of us, we've grown up thinking, how must you eat meat? Cooked. And so that belief shapes how you see food. And so if you see some raw fish on a plate, you just think that is not right. Now, let me just say, uh, I was asking the eight o'clockers, how many of you won't eat raw fish, and hands go up. Now, hands go up, who wouldn't eat raw fish? Yes, some hands, and I think part of it is, you've just been shaped to think that's not how you eat fish. Now let me say, it doesn't worry me because it's more for me. <laughs> because believing is seeing. And how you believe will absolutely affect how you see the Lord Jesus. And that's one of the first challenges is that to believe in the Lord Jesus, we actually have to have our worldviews reshaped by Scripture and by Jesus himself. And one of the things we need to do, and these are the words of the Psalms, "'Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him.'" Sometimes if we're struggling with belief, it's because our worldview is making us see the world a certain way. And certain things in scriptures can challenge us. What we need to do is actually suspend our worldview and actually experience God. And I love this phrase, taste and see that the Lord is good. In other words, enter into that world and experience it and realise that actually what we're talking about is good. And it's the same with the Lord Jesus. We actually need to taste and see that he is the Lord of life, who gives life. Well, that's the worldview challenge. The second is the personal challenge. Within that little dialogue with Jesus and his brothers, he says these words in verse 7. Have a look. The, Lord, the world cannot hate you, 
But it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. One of the problems of believing in Jesus as the Lord and Saviour of the world is that what you believe about him affects you personally in profound ways. Uh, This is not a small belief to understand Jesus correctly. And what the scriptures proclaim to us is that history has a centre, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. It has an end when he will return. It has a meaning which is wrapped up in knowing him. The belief that Jesus is Lord and Saviour shapes everything. It personally affects you. And you see, the thing about Jesus is he's not a comfortable Messiah. He tells it as it is. He's full of love and compassion, but he's also the King of kings and Lord of lords who calls out evil, who says this is what is right and this is what is wrong. And that's what he says here to his brothers. The, law, the world cannot hate you. They'll, they'll love you, but actually it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. Now, those words are words of someone who believes they have enormous authority. That they are actually the one who is the way, the truth and the life. And they can tell the world what is right and wrong. To believe in Jesus is to believe in someone greater than yourself. It's to believe in someone who will save you but also judge you. It is to believe that Jesus rightfully has authority over you. Now, if you go back to the sashimi illustration, um, the belief that sashimi is good to eat, as in raw fish, at the end of the day is a fairly inconsequential belief, isn't it? I mean, whether you eat it or not is actually not going to transform your life. Uh, Let me show you a belief that actually does affect people's lives. Gun control. Now, to all our American friends here today, I love you. And I've got many dear American friends. For the life of me, I cannot understand the belief that everyone has the right to bear arms and access arms the way Americans do. It just seems crazy. But yet that's the belief. And the thing about it is, it personally affects people across America every day. And you see, some beliefs are very significant. And it's the nature of the Christian faith. One of the reasons why people did not believe in Jesus is because of the way he personally challenged them. And that's what you see there in verse 7, the world hates me because I testify its works are evil. Uh, The greatest thing that stopped me from becoming a Christian was the realisation that if I took this belief on, If I actually accepted the belief that Jesus is Lord and Saviour, it would affect me. It would change me. Because all of a sudden I had to acknowledge there was someone over me. And so I tried to shelve that belief. I tried to bury that belief. I tried to ignore that belief. Until one day I had to confront that belief. And you see, that's the personal challenge of belief. It actually confronts you with a Saviour and a Lord who's over you. We read on the commitment challenge. Now, the movement now moves to Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus said to his brothers, I'm not going up. He then goes quietly. And when he says he doesn't want to go up there, he doesn't go up there and perform miracles. 
but he goes and teaches. Uh, He will go to Jerusalem and perform one great event where he will show himself to the world, but that is not yet. I'll talk about that at the end. And he starts to engage with the Jewish people and there's a murmuring, there's a discussion about him. And verse 14, I pick up the story, it says, Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, How did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus answered, My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. And his brothers had failed to understand him. The crowds now can't comprehend who he is. And they're not believing in him. And it's interesting, the discussion is now between the Jewish people, his kin, and it's really about what authority does he have to teach the way that he does. Now, as Nathan, I think, said last week, um, if you were a teacher, it's because you've first been a student. And you would have learned from a rabbi your body of knowledge. And you may have had a number of teachers that you worked with and learned under before you would finally step out and become a teacher yourself. And you would acknowledge that in your teaching. The thing with Jesus is, he says, um, no reference to other rabbis. And that's what they're reflecting on. Um, How did this man get such learning without having been taught? He's not been walking in the footsteps of one of the great masters. And Jesus says, my teaching's not my own, correct, I have learnt from someone else, it comes from the one who sent me. And what's he talking about? Actually, I've been sent from God. He is the one that I bring the message from. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. I'm someone who's been sent from God. And all of his discussions and teachings have been reflecting that reality that he comes as the Son of God in person to bring the Word of God. What's fascinating, he says, is anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether this is true. In other words, um, you can't assess Jesus and believe him impartially. And a lot of people will look on at Jesus, if I can say, from a distance and want to make an assessment about him and they typically will just go, oh, I don't get him. And what Jesus is saying is if you want to understand him, you've actually got to step inside the circle And be prepared to commit yourself to doing his will and doing God's will. You won't understand him until you're inside the circle. That's what verse 17 is saying. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God, that's the person who will find out whether my teaching comes from God. Now Jesus is not saying that unless you reach a certain level of ethical or moral attainment, that you can't understand him. Now, what he's saying is this, for a seeker to get to know God, he must be committed to doing God's will as it's revealed. In other words, there's no neutral stance with Jesus. You don't have to have understanding to find faith. You actually have to come with a sense of faith seeking understanding. And if I can give you an example from Mark's gospel, there's a famous episode where A man is distraught because his son needs to be healed. And it's in chapter 9. 
And he comes to Jesus and asks Jesus to heal his son. And do you remember the words? He says, Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. It's a fascinating phrase. I know you are a a great one. I don't fully understand you, but I'm coming to you. Help me with my unbelief and please heal my son. And Jesus answers his request. You see, to believe in Jesus means we actually have to open up our hearts, not just our minds. And this relates to our worldview. We've got to be prepared to lay down our history in terms of how we've understood Jesus and actually start to walk in his shoes to learn from him. My personal journey started, as I've said on a number of occasions, when I prayed a very simple prayer, God, if you are there, help me to know you. And there was an openness of heart at that point that I'd never had before. And you see, our belief grows as we open our hearts up to God. And one of the greatest dangers for belief is having a hard heart. That's why the Proverbs say, guard your heart above all things, it is the wellspring of life. The last challenge, the humility challenge. What this passage shows us is that if you stand over Jesus judging him by human criteria you'll actually never understand him and you'll never come to believe in him, though you might learn things about him. Have a look at verse 18. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There's nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law, yet not one of you keeps the law? Why are you trying to kill me? Well, you're demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who's trying to kill you? Well, we know from the very beginning of the chapter, verse 1, that the Jewish leaders were trying to kill him. Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, you're all amazed. Yet, because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me? For healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Let me kind of unpack that in a very simple way. I could spend a fair bit of time there. I'm not going to do that. But he's referring back to John chapter 5, which was actually the last time I preached here, uh, quite a long time ago. And he healed a man on the Sabbath. And it upset everyone in terms of the leadership. And they wanted to kill him as a result. And he says, you try to kill me because, the law of Moses, that the, because of the law that Moses gave you, because I healed a man on the Sabbath. And what he says is actually, you don't even understand that law or follow the law yourself. Your pride has blinded you to actually seeing what is going on. And that's why he says in verse 18, whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. And he's critiquing them at this point saying, you really are just on about yourselves. You're blinded by your pride. Whoever wants to see the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There's nothing false about him, and he's speaking about himself there. And you see, the thing with that healing on the Sabbath is this, that they couldn't understand. The Sabbath is a word for rest. 
It's where we get the whole concept of a day and a week we rest, we come to church and we worship. And that's embedded through all the Old Testament. And as the Old Testament unfolded, the Sabbath was a day that they rested and looked forward to when they would finally be at rest and blessing from God. And there was a sense of which it was a prophetic day that looked forward to a great day of rest. And Jesus comes, and on this day that they are resting and looking forward to rest, restores a man completely and brings him to rest. And what he was saying is, I am the one who brings rest. And this day actually looks forward to when you will be with me forever at rest. And what do they do? Kill him. And you see, their pride blinded them from seeing what was happening. And one of the things with pride is we often think we know best. And we often look at the scriptures and go, no, that can't be right. The scriptures are the voice of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, and they are fully authoritative. And they do say things sometimes that we don't quite understand why that is the case, that we will grapple with. But yet in humility, we actually have to say, these are the words of God. And while I may not fully understand it, I will believe it. And I'll accept it and I will practice it. And the irony is, the more you practice it, the more you understand it and believe it. Let me try and wrap up. What Jesus says to finish is this, stop judging by human appearances and judge correctly. In other words, if you want to believe, don't do it on the basis of what you see. You just see my brother. You just see a man who's doing some miracles. You're not looking properly at actually who I am because your worldview precludes it. You don't like the personal cost that is involved in acknowledging it. You're not committed actually to what it means in your own life. And you're too proud to actually see that you're wrong. You see, belief in Jesus is not a neutral thing. It's not an abstract thing. It's not a small thing. It requires us to have a worldview that is open to the supernatural and in particular that, this reality that Jesus is the risen saviour. And it requires us to humble ourselves and realise that we are just human. And we don't have all the answers, but the Lord Jesus does. And the way you can get into that experience of belief, so that you can believe and then see, is to look at when Jesus did show himself to the world, in the way that he was on about And he showed himself to the world finally at the cross and in his resurrection. And you see, those two events are the events that open our eyes to see that he is the risen son of God so that we can believe. And when you see Jesus risen from the tomb and you believe that, then you will start to see. And then your faith will start to grow. And then you'll be humbled as you realise he died for you. And then you'll be committed to him and you'll be prepared to pay the personal cost 
of what it means to follow Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And so friends, faith is a complex thing at times, but we need humility and we need to look to the Lord Jesus who died on a cross for us and rose again to see with clarity we need to commit our lives to him personally. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for this passage. It is difficult, but yet it teaches us what it means to believe. And Father, open our eyes. Help us to believe and to see as a result that Jesus is the risen Saviour of the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.